You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hey, I'm Steve Englehart, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Tomb of Dracula, episode 4A, covering a period of the Tomb of Dracula from 1975 to 1976. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Tomb of Dracula co-host, Josh Tan. We are talking about the Tomb of Dracula Complete Collection Volume 4. Uh, this is kind of an annual tradition for us now. Every Halloween we get together, yeah. you and I, and we talk about um, <laughs> Tomb of Dracula. Pretty, and then we fun. go toilet paper some houses. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, so like I said, we've been doing this now for four years in a row. This is volume four, and it's just the first half. We're going to talk about, uh, yeah, you, why don't you tell us, what are we talking about in today's episode? Okay, so the volume four complete collection, so we're, we're cutting it in half on what we're covering. The actual complete collection, as the other ones have also reprinted, uh, Marvel's black and white Dracula Lives magazines as well. So we're we're still currently skipping the black and white stuff for now. The volume itself collects Tomb of Dracula 36 through 54 and a crossover issue with Doctor Strange issue 14. For this part of the podcast, we're doing Tomb of Dracula 36 through 44 and the Doctor Strange issue. Uh, that seemed to be a good cutoff point for you know our discussion today. Yeah, so let me just reiterate: we're not going to cover the black and white magazine issues in this in this episode. We've been skipping all of those just because they are sort of out of continuity. They're t- tales about Dracula's past, and so I think we what we've talked about is once we finish with the regular series, then we'll cycle back to the the first Tomb of Dracula complete collection and tackle those black and white magazine stories at that point because there's going to be some really fun stuff in there oh yeah and this way we have to talk to each other for another 15 years <laughs> that's right <laughs> let's keep it going as long as possible yes okay so the, the the content for this stuff that we're talking about today so the tomb of dracula series as a whole is really good if i have to say there's one low point is that the first half of this series because the series goes up to issue what 75 or something like that right Yes, it goes, uh, I think, to 70. I think 70 70. is the last issue. So we're coming up to the halfway point here. Actually, we're just past the halfway point. Mm -hmm. We're on the second half of the series, yep. A lot of the first half of the series and then the issues we're talking about today have to do with the villain Dr. Sun, who has kind of been Dracula's main adversary. And I don't care about this character at all. (laughs) I just don't. You know, he's he's used a lot. I am always a sucker for an evil brain in a fish tank. So <laughs> I do I, I do like the character, but well, but in a in a vampire book, like well, true. Um obviously, you know, sun for you know, uh it's it's poking fun at the fact that, that he's allergic to sunlight or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yes, he he does get a little uh, long in the tooth, pardon the pun there. <laughs> Because the bulk of our reading, at least for this round, 
it at least from what it appears ends the overall story with Dr. Sun, but yeah. it's still about 10 more issues of Dr. Sun here that we have to talk about. So yeah, it, yeah, this, yeah. this stuff here from issues 36 to 43, it's basically one long story that actually is a continuation from the stuff in the previous volume um, of Dr. Right. Sun. So yeah, it's one long story arc. And can you imagine that's a, a full year of comic buying? Uh, pretty much that there is, uh, like to, is, is this big long battle with dr sun maybe the folks were also uh at the time buying those off the spinner rack but then you know getting their older brothers to buy the black and white magazines so then they they got to break up their their vampire reading with <laughs> with with that stuff maybe I hope so we're maybe we're doing it wrong well we're too late now we gotta, gotta yeah. keep on plowing <laughs> forward yes yes so let me see. Uh, bring us up to speed. If you haven't heard any of our previous episodes, where are we in the Dracula story right now? All right. So we've been tracking a group of vampire hunters led by Quincy Harker. That's been our main focus. Either it's been them or it's been what Dracula has been up to. At this point, everybody's kind of spread out a little bit. And where we last left everybody, uh, we had Frank Drake, who is one of our vampire hunters. He's been in Brazil with Brother Voodoo, so a little Marvel connection there yep. to the greater uh, Marvel Universe, uh, fighting zombies, or they called them Zuvembies. So he's over in South America. We got Rachel Van Helsing and Quincy Harker. They're working with Inspector Kelm, who's been a recurring character of ours uh, from Scotland Yard. They're basically tracking Dracula's movements, trying to figure out where, where he's going, where he's going to strike next. We have Blade, of course. Everybody knows Blade. He is kind of not really part of the group, but he often teams up with them. We've been following him as he's been following a mysterious silver-haired vampire. We don't know that character's name yet, but we know that he has something to do with killing Blade's mother. So we know that much up to this point. But he's in and out of the book, so uh, that's where Blade is. And then Dracula himself being our main, main character he has basically been dealing with a weakened state because of Dr. Sun. He is not at full strength, not at full power. And that's been some uh, kind of a subplot over the last several issues. And it's going to lead him to start tracking where Dr. Sun is. So a lot of tracking going on with everybody. Which is usually the case, actually, with this book. <laughs> they're, yes. they're always tracking Dracula. And one of the things about this book is that... <laughs> Dracula's, uh, I say this, but actually this is a spoiler for later. Dracula never dies because if you kill Dracula, then you have no book. So yeah. the, mm -hmm. the, the, just the, the whole chase is a completely pointless, futile chase. It, you feel it with these people as well, with their ongoing anxiety over what yeah. Dracula's going to do. It's like, but you know, as the reader, you know that they're never going to succeed at what they do, except for maybe the last issue. I don't know how the the, the whole series wraps up, but as long as the series yep. keeps on going, they're never going to accomplish their goal. Right. And that's definitely been one of the shining points of Marv Wolfman's writing is he's been able to, I mean, we're going into issue 36 of a series about Dracula that has really all along completely keeps your interest. And yep. it's mainly because of this cast of characters he's created this, yeah. this band of vampire hunters, splitting them up, teaming them back up together, uh, following. Sometimes he does issues that just follows random people for a one and done issue. And it's, it's been, I can see why this is considered, you know, one of the best, you know, comics runs, um, of course, you and I are experiencing this, and you know, for the first time. 
but I get it. I get why this, you know, this was a top seller at the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Marv Wolfen, just fantastic, uh, keeping your interest and keeping things new and fresh. Even though he does keep this Dr. Sun stuff going for too long, there is even variety in these 10 issues that we're going to talk about. So that's kind of nice. Yes. And uh, and yeah, you know, we can't say enough about Gene Colan and Tom Palmer. Now, uh, just recently, actually, as of this recording, Tom Palmer just passed away a few weeks ago. So rest in peace, Mr. Palmer. He did a fantastic job here in Tomb of Dracula. Yeah, and there's uh, you know a, a couple of spots that, of course, I'm always going to highlight little things here and there. But the guy was a, a an absolute master inker, uh, yep. probably one of the one of the best in the field of inking. But I would even say his use of Zipatone, I don't think anybody did as much as he did. And knowing from what I've you know read or or listened to with the interviews from other artists, I mean, a lot of them hated using that stuff. So. Uh, I, I can yeah. only imagine the fact that he used it as much as he did. Um, you know, it shows. You you can tell he loved what he did, and it's 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 incredible his body of work. The zipatone is a laborious process. Back in this day, when you'd actually have to like cut it out with an exacto mm-hmm. knife to fit the shape that you want on your page, like it's not uh, it's not like Photoshop now where you can. You sure. know, paint bucket yourself a, a section of zipatone, or 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 draw it with a certain brush that has a zipatone pattern. No, you have to actually like cut it out and glue it on, and yeah. <laughs> and he would use it even in in the issues we're reading. I've noticed he uses it in such unique ways too. A lot of, of I've noticed a lot of folks will use it just to offset a panel, just to give you things to pop off the panel. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he does it in such interesting ways where it's things you wouldn't think to put zipatone on and he does and the effect is is excellent especially in a horror book like this yeah oh totally yeah it, it works really really well it it works because we have a limited color palette as well so it adds a variety to the mm-hmm. texture and um, it gives you some different tones to, that you can play with and it's it's never overused but it's also not underused it's it he, he yeah like you said he's a master and he uses different mm-hmm. types of zipatone as well different yes. types that that give off different textures and such. Some of the reprinting doesn't allow that to come to full effect. Uh, and I'll point out a couple of those in this issue, okay. in fact, as well, that the reprints are just, they don't capture it as well as they, it should. It doesn't capture as well. Yeah. Well, and we have, we've mentioned it before, I'm sure around our first episode, but uh, Gene Colan is, you know, one of those types of pencilers and artists that I got to imagine was a tough guy to ink. And Tom Palmer, I think it just makes it work. Yeah. With how fluid his pencils is and how, how you know, he often didn't work with a hard line. And and Tom Palmer just, I mean, he makes Gene Colan's work look that much better. So, yeah, I mean, kudos to him. And, yes, rest in peace for sure. That that guy was, uh, was something else. Yeah. Well, let's go into the issues here. We're going to start with issue number 36. It's called Flight of Fear. And this kind of is the calm before the storm because there's this period of time where Dracula is trying to make his way to America. A lot of the action has has been taking place in Europe, but he has a need to try and get to America because he believes that's where Dr. Sun is. And so this issue here, it's interesting because it's not your typical setup. We're being told a couple of short stories from the perspective of people who have encountered Dracula as he's making his way across the Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts off with Inspector Kelm, who is a character from uh, the Chris Claremont-written annuals who's now made his way over to the, the regular issues. And he's talking to 
Quincy and Rachel as they uh, are listening in on this tape recording and getting it analyzed by, I guess, an expert in psychology or something like that. I don't know if they ever really say what his role is here. I think they just say that he, yeah, he has something to do with psychology. That's as far as they got. Yeah. Plus, he has a pipe, so you know he's an intellectual. <laughs> yes, pipe, and he's and he's uh, got glasses as well. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah, okay, so the two short stories, one of them takes place in the airport, and it's from the point of view of a mechanic who's working in the airport, and Dracula is raising a stink in uh, in customs, or no, at the ticket ticket booth because they delayed his plane, and Dracula demands to be helped uh, to find him another flight now. Now, Dracula, of course, can't fly across the ocean himself because he's, he's weakened, but also that's a long way for a bat to travel, and he can't <laughs> stay in his animal form. For that long especially uh before the sun comes up yeah and he wants to fly instead of taking a boat because taking a boat takes too long so he's trying to get there in a hurry uh and then the second story is a fighter pilot dracula finds a fighter pilot who is taking off and going across america so he stows away in the fighter pilot's uh jet and that's actually a pretty fun story of like mm-hmm. how do you deal with a vampire in close quarters like that and how does dracula make the guy do what he wants him to do without like crashing and then uh other jets come and start firing missiles on this one jet and the guy has to you know do his maneuvers and stuff it's actually quite uh exciting because this is stuff that you never see in in this book at all <laughs> like mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. warfare is not something that is dealt with in tomb of dracula so to see gene colon drawing airplanes and soldiers with guns and all this kind of stuff it's uh it's a nice uh, variety that we haven't we haven't uh, seen yet in Tomb of Dracula, so that's kind of cool. And it's just a wonderful story. It's just a, a great glimpse into, the, uh, like you said, the everyday people. Like, let's follow these mm-hmm. random people for a little while and see how Dracula interacts with their lives. It's a lot of fun. And I like when they do that. And there's a couple we'll be talking about uh, later on. Um, just it's just again, it adds to that uniqueness because now all of a sudden he writes from a different point of view, yep. and it's usually scarier because now you're dealing with people who really don't know what they're dealing with. Whereas our vampire hunters are already, you know, seasoned vets; they understand, you know, yeah. vampires. So it's it's a nice reminder. You know, he almost does this every I don't know seven, eight, nine issues at a time. He'll do one, throw one of those in, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah. This guy's a horrible monster. I remember now. Totally. Yep. Yeah, yes. Okay, so go over to page 118. I believe that's the page I wanted. Yeah, 118 in this collection here. It's uh, Mm -hmm. Dracula's sitting behind the fighter pilot uh, in the jet. And you can see the zipatone pattern on their faces. It's lines instead of dots. But the scans are such that the lines are starting to kind of blend together a little bit. And it makes a kind of a blocky pattern on their face. Yeah, I was wondering about that if that was done on purpose or nope. so that's the scanning process that messed it up, huh? Yeah, because if you don't have uh, crystal clear lines to go to to scan from, uh, like if you're mm. go, if you're scanning from a comic book where the ink has bled in the paper, so the lines are not perfectly straight, they're a little jaggy or whatever, and you go to scan that, then when it's reproduced again, when you try to print it out they start blending together a little bit or causing an illusion. They call it a moray pattern. And it happens with the dots as well. The dots, uh, if you don't have the perfectly round dots and they start blending in together with the dots that are surrounding it, then it looks like people are polka dots. Like it 
it's uh, okay. it stands out a lot more. So that, that like that was in uh, I think the first X Force volume, uh, the Epic Collections. Uh, I know I know that it was in there. Yeah, uh, because yep. you had talked about that on the podcast. Exactly. Um, so this is another reason I imagine why folks say, well, once once something gets masterworked, now you have like a new set to work with or a new set of artwork to work with because they have a yep. different process. Is that OK? That makes yeah. Sense. Yeah. So the masterworks are the top level Marvel restorations. And so while this stuff has been restored for these collections or for the previous omnibus, it wasn't given the top level restoration that they do Got for it. the masterworks. So Tomb of Dracula is going through the masterworks process right now. And my guess is that if they don't have better source material to scan from is I'm guessing that they'll probably try to erase those lines and redraw them straight, like put another line zipitone pattern over top of that so that when they do publish the book and print it out, that it'll look nice. It'll look perfect. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. I noticed that also like on the, on the splash page for this one, you see it a little bit on the radio on page 110 where it looks a little uh, blocky. Yeah, I mean, it looks exactly. it's not as glaring on there because it almost looks like it's a reflective material the way that it kind of happy accident turned out. But the, yep. the example you use, I mean, that's right on people's faces that yeah, it's, it looks it's a little distracting. Odd. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely. Uh, OK, well, I was talking a little bit about Gene Colan's artwork with uh, drawing airplanes and how mm-hmm. that's very different for him. Uh, it's very cool. I love page 120 and 121. Yeah. Where you see long vertical panels because the airplane or the jet that they're in is doing kind of a nosedive and then it scoops up at the last minute before it hits the water. And the flow of action between those six panels that are in the top tier over these two pages yes. are just really, really great because it shows exactly what's going on. But there's lots of open space in the panel, not a lot of detail very minimalistic but to show us how far away the plane is from the ground or just mm-hmm. you know conveying the the action in in the sky here i think it's really really well done well and that that is just a you know that's graphic storytelling that yes. that's perfect you know that's that's what the comic book medium what you can play with is motion in you know on a static image on a static page how do you showcase that this is a perfect example of it. i mean you know, I, it, that's a hard thing to teach. I think some of these artists, you know, they just figured it out and they, they you know, you know, it's kind of proves why they're, yeah. yeah, exactly why they're so good in, you know, in their field pretty much. There was uh, the continuing subplot of Frank Drake in this issue. I don't even know really what's going on with his story. <laughs> like what is, yeah. he, he went to Brazil yeah. um, under false pretenses in the previous volume. Yes. And he's found out that his friend here is kind of um, using him and cheating him and stuff like that. And, and But he's also there for like a on a soul-searching mission because he's been disillusioned, I guess, with his vampire hunting. Yeah, I believe it was. He was disillusioned with the vampire hunting. This lady uh, came up, this attractive lady, came to him and kind of drag him off to Brazil. His buddy Dan was there um, and said, hey, I got a job for you. And yeah, so he willingly went and then he fought a bunch of zombies and Brother Voodoo was there hanging out without any shoes on like usual. And then, um, yeah, and then this is kind of the big climax to it. And I got to say, incredibly anticlimactic. Um, I think they just wanted to Maybe Gene Colan just wanted to draw some jungle scenes or something because <laughs> yeah. it didn't really go anywhere other than because it's revealed that the only reason Dan sent for him was because he was being mind controlled by Dracula. So ultimately, this was Dracula wanting Frank, I guess, out of the picture, potentially killed. Um, yeah. 
But I agree with you. After a while, you're just kind of like, wait, what's happening? I, I, this is not going anywhere anymore. And it doesn't make any sense either. Like, why does Dracula separate him? Uh, and he doesn't separate Rachel and Quincy. He doesn't separate Blade. Right. I mean, it doesn't. he doesn't pull any strings yeah. to get them out of the way. It's just him. And then later on, like in the next issue, I think we'll find out that Frank mm-hmm. has his epiphany and, and is like, yeah. I am a new person. I have a new look on an, a new outlook on life. And then even people, when he gets back to joining his group, they're like, hey, we can tell that you're a different person. But it's like, no, he's not. He's no, acting I, exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> I felt exactly the same. And that was something I was going to bring up is. Let's kind of pay attention to Frank over our, you know, the rest of this volume. And then when we do get to volume five of the complete collections, because I you can say that he's a changed man, but I haven't seen it yet. He's still just a guy that's hanging out like I don't know. I'm not seeing anything different with him at all. Well, and the thing about the story here and we're going to meet these characters in the next issue is that the focus of the team drastically shifts and Frank Quincy and Rachel all take a very passive back seat and don't really do anything. They do a few things, but they don't really do anything in the story, in the issues that we read. Yeah. Yeah. And this part of the story, yeah, there's not much going on with those. It, it really is a Dracula versus Dr. Sun with, um, with these new characters we're going to meet. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> One last thing to, that we should mention on this is yeah. it is revealed that that smart psychologist guy was revealed to be an agent of Dr. Sun. Yeah, which I liked. I liked that. I thought that was a cool twist, except it doesn't go anywhere. It makes yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, it, it, I guess because this whole thing was Dracula heading to Boston. That's where Dr. Sun is. And he's letting Dr. Sun know, hey, you know, he's on his Dracula's way. Dracula's on I his guess. way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Which didn't but, really yeah. need to happen. Doc, it seems to me like Dr. Sun has his, you know, he has his, I can't say fingers because he has no fingers, but he's got his fingers <laughs> in on everything. Like he already should. I mean, I guess that's why he's hired this guy because he has his fingers in mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I just no good, prize good, myself. Good enough. He, he's, yeah, he's got all sorts of, uh, he's got all sorts of agents everywhere and he's got, you know, eyes and ears, even though he physically does not have eyes and ears. Yeah. He's just a brain in a fish tank. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on to number 37. All right. So this is called The Vampire is Coming, The Vampire is Coming, which is a play on The British are Coming, The British are Coming, because Dracula is now in Beantown, a.k.a. Boston, Massachusetts. Uh-huh. This issue, we meet probably one of the greatest characters known to comic books ever. Uh, his <laughs> name is Harold H. Harold. Uh, he is a young horror writer, something of a hack writer. He all, it all seems to be very tongue-in-cheek, Marv Wolfman possibly lampooning himself is my guess. But he is a uh, kind of a nervous Nelly, you know, uh, young geeky kind of character. And uh, he's got a crush on the secretary at the place he works at. Her name is Aurora Rabowitz is her last name. Rabowitz, Rabowitz. And these are the two characters that we get to talk about now for the next hour. Um, because <laughs> they they and Dracula become the main characters, it seems. But we're introduced to these two. Harold is basically, he's got to write something for his editor to basically keep his job. And his goal is to interview a vampire. And then lo and behold, he finds Dracula not doing so great. He's incredibly weakened. He is almost passed out uh, or he is passed out. And Harold takes him to his apartment and he calls Aurora over to his apartment with, uh, you know, basically a comatose Dracula on his couch. So that's the first part of the issue. Second part of the issue, we get to meet a new player 
another doctor son henchman. Uh, his name is Juno, and he is a big, bald, lurch kind of character, but he yeah. has a big silver stake for a left hand or a, or a, sil <laughs> yeah. a silver spike. You know, so he's got that comic book element, which is nice. Uh, so, yeah, he's definitely a big bruiser type of character. So we know that, that you know, we're going to be seeing more from him. And then we basically, through that, we do finally get the official wrap-up to the Frank Drake storyline. This is where he has his epiphany, uh, you know, his his moment of soul-searching is over that we kind of already talked about. Brother Voodoo very happily whisks him away, basically teleports him away in smoke right to Boston. So Quincy and Rachel just arrived in Boston, and now Frank just appears right with them very conveniently for all of us. The team is back together again. Everybody now is in Boston. And it's going to be a this grand old a, time. This yeah, this was a lot of story set up, this particular issue. Um, it's getting everything in place, setting the stage. Bringing the team back. Yes. Not a ton of action in here, and quite a bit of pages uh, devoted to this Herald and Aurora so either you dig these characters or you don't. <laughs> if you're not digging these characters, these are tough issues to read, uh, at least partially. At least it was for me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking for you. Did, did you love Harold H. Harold? Well, I liked him at first. I okay. like I like this issue because mm -hmm. I thought that it was going to be just like, you know, a one-off story like we've had in the past of just meeting random people, their encounter of Dracula, and yeah. then mm -hmm. gone. But the fact that they stuck around for... I flipped through the rest of this volume. He, they're here for at least the rest of volume four. I don't know if they're going to be in volume five, but it's oh, like, good. Wh why? Why do we have them <laughs> here? What? So, Josh, I want to ask you, why do you yeah. think Marv Wolfman decided to add these characters to the cast? Well, they are younger characters. So maybe that has something to do with, um, I don't know, putting a, a, a bit of, of youth and naivete because they are, you know, definitely new to this whole world however neither one seems to be freaked out about a dracula or vampires being <laughs> real and and he writes you know these these books called true vampire stories but i mean again it's it's got to be this has all got to be very much uh wolfman you know poking fun at himself at his own profession and you know the industry a little bit anyway mm, yeah interesting uh, I, I think it's i think it's revealed he he is a jewish character um i'm pretty sure marv wolfman is as well yep. uh so I, i'm sure yeah i'm sure that that's all what's happening there but i mean that would be my guess maybe just to get some you know legit young blood uh into the into the proceedings uh do, do you have a different idea well i thought something similar i think young blood is good we were talking earlier about how the the vampire slayers they just kind of keep on doing the same thing the chase is never ending so this does add a different element of these people chasing mm -hmm. dracula for a different reason that would have for a, a different, different outcome yeah. so i think there's that I like your comment about the naivete of, of these characters because that's what Frank was at the very beginning of this book. Right. Uh, right. And now we've moved way past that. We're now mm -hmm. 40 issues in and Frank is a seasoned veteran himself. So to have the inexperience yeah. of these people is kind of nice. I also think that maybe he wanted a little bit of humor in this book because none of the cast is funny. It, no. <laughs> and now, now these no, two no, characters, no. we have like a bumbling uh, reporter mm. and a you know a kind of a typical ditzy female character that adds some levity and some humor to the story. And that is welcome. I just it it you start rolling your eyes when it's a bit too much of it. You know <laughs> yeah, when it, right. it, it it you know it's good in 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 the right dosage. Um, but no, that that does make sense. And it's funny you you when you explained it like that. 
it's very much like The Walking Dead. You know, originally Rick was the introductory character for all of us. Yeah. He becomes a seasoned vet pretty quick, and they're always bringing in new characters. Um, so it does make sense that this happens. And who knows? Maybe, you know, as we go along in this book, you know, it'll be I, I'll, I'll grow to like them maybe more. Um, this is also my, my first reading of this. So who knows, maybe, maybe sensibilities will change here, but, True. um, I will say it's, uh, you know, a little saucy on page 141. <laughs> yes. You know, Jean, yep. Jean Colin's like, all right, I'm drawing her in a bath. So, you know, that yep. was interesting. <laughs> it, yep, totally. Well, and he, that he will do that in other books as well. And, uh, yeah. And she's kind of the only character that will do this. And the only the other female character in this book mm-hmm. is Rachel. And um, Rachel, yeah. she definitely is way more serious and doesn't get written. They, they don't write her character to to be that kind of character. So it's a right. contrast. This is kind of a deep cut. Are, are, are you a fan or did you watch Batman the Animated Series growing up? Oh, absolutely. OK, yeah. so I yeah, that's a recurring show into my adulthood. I'll, I'll watch it quite regularly. Uh, the episode I've got Batman in my basement. Yes, <laughs> is is often not looked at as one of the better episodes of the series, but this is just exactly where my mind went when I yeah. was reading this. Yeah, you're right. It's like I've got I've got Dracula on my couch. Like this is how it played out for me a little bit. Even with like the unassuming kind of bumbling main character finds yep. finds the the hero and yeah exactly yep very true. <laughs> and the, my only other note really for this was okay, so this is the last time we see Brother Voodoo in this book. Uh, and I know this just because I was doing some research online. We next see him. Marvel uses him in Werewolf by Night. Uh, he's there for a stretch, I guess, from issues 38 to 41. So he basically bounced from Dracula's world over to the werewolf's world. So I found that kind of cool as a little connective tissue with, you know, the Marvel monsters, which is, is it's all very fun uh, stuff. Yeah, I think he bounces around to a bunch of the monster titles as well. I can't remember. I just read Morbius recently. I can't remember for the life of me if he okay. showed up there, but he might have. <laughs> I don't know. That's that. That one was so weird. Well, that's good because yeah. we'll be talking about Morbius in a couple issues here. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, so my favorite image in this issue is on page mm-hmm. one thirty-eight. It's the picture in the lower left-hand corner of Dracula taking a bite out of uh, the, oh, yeah. the the girl there, and the whole panel is just in this magenta. And mm-hmm. it looks so cool because it's essentially a black and white image just with magenta. The shadow, the composition, the the mood of it is just yeah. very, very striking. I love it. And it, it, the the color choice does evoke a little bit of a, a violence, which is exactly yes. what's happening there as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yep. Now, that's a good pick. Yeah. yeah. You know, not a whole lot uh, to say about this issue. Otherwise, I mean, it's like it's more set up than, mm-hmm. than anything else, like you said. And yeah, not doesn't really, it just, it just serves to bring the team together, introduce a few new people and set the stage for what's coming up next. So I think we can move on if you're ready. I am ready when you are. Issue 38 is called Blood Rush. This is where uh, it picks up exactly where we left off. Dracula is in the apartment of Harold H. Harold and he wakes up and is very weak and finds that Harold is taking care of him. So they actually kind of, its they have a weird relationship. They kind of mm-hmm. look after each other, even though Harold pals around pretty soon with all of the vampire slayers. But uh, he calls on Aurora, and Aurora joins him in the apartment, and the two of them together decide what their plan of action is going to be now that they have this vampire in their in their house or in, in Harold's apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harker, Quincy, and Drake figure out where Sun is, and they go to confront Dr. Sun. And uh, that's kind of a little bit of a ongoing plot here. And then Juno 
is working for Dr. Sun, and he knows that he's at the apartment of Harold H. Harold, and so he goes and retrieves Dracula. So kind of where we're at. Yes. So this was kind of fun because they are trying to help Dracula, Harold, and Aurora, and they have a whole scheme to go get some blood from Harvard (laughs) University. And uh, Aurora uses her feminine wiles on the the intern that's working there, you know, uh, distracting him by kissing him and everything else so that Harold can swipe the blood. It was, uh, that was kind of a fun sequence. And the fact, again, that they're, it doesn't even phase them that not only do they have to go steal blood for a vampire, but that it's freaking Dracula. (laughs) They're just like, oh, it's Dracula, our best friend. Uh, But yeah, th- they didn't bother me as much in this particular issue. I think they were used very well. Well, what I liked about this is that they weren't scared of him because he was weak. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if he was full at full strength and intimidating and towering over them and chasing them or whatever, they would have had a way different reaction to Dracula. But because their introduction to Dracula is him vulnerable, mm-hmm. they have sympathy for him. And that colors their whole relationship yeah, that's true. It's not like they were attacked by him. They were, you know, basically tending to, uh, you know, a, a wounded, you know, bunny rabbit at first. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Real quick, uh, jump back to the cover of issue 38. This is the last issue to have the original logo, uh, yeah. the Tomb of Dracula logo. Uh, and that uh, circle with the Dracula artwork up in the upper corner there. The next issue changes the logo, and it gets a traditional Marvel uh, corner uh, box. I like this first logo better. Way better, yeah, big it, time. Yeah, I just love love the uh, how Dracula fits in the cape better than trying mm-hmm. to squeeze the whole logo inside the cape. And also adding the, the tagline, Lord of the Vampires, I think they just wanted to put vampire on the, vampire. the cover. But it's like Dracula's on the cover. You don't need to put yeah. the word vampire there, too. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I, I think the original logo is great. And on this issue 38 cover, they have a little cover blurb that says Comic Dumb's number one magazine of fear. Oh. And we're going to now see that in various ways. I, it looked at least for the rest of this volume, I'm assuming until the, the book is done, probably because of all the various competition that's out there in yep. terms of uh, horror comics, horror magazines. You know, we're right we're right in the middle of the 70s. So, yeah, there was a lot of that. So they definitely, you know, kept wanting to advertise that, you know, hey, this is this is the number one book out there. Yeah. Sales must have been pretty good on this one. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. I imagine. I mean, and, and they let this creative team, I think, just keep chugging along. I, I'd be curious to know if there was any really editorial you know, interference or, or oversight, I believe, was this Roy still at the time here or was this the revolving door of Marvel editors at this time? Um, I no, I think that comes, a, well, let's see here. 75, I, I know it was like Jerry, Marv, um, Len Wein for a little bit. Like everybody was just kind of. Yeah, there was, yeah. Marv Wolfman is credited as editor. We don't get accredited editor in chief. I don't think. That is, does they say at the beginning of the book here? Mm-hmm. Editors. Now, now I'm just kind of flipping through. It always keeps saying that Marv Wolfman is also the editor. Yeah. It all it says writer editor throughout the rest of it. Oh, okay. But we don't know who editor in chief is. So I'd have to that's check my true. dates. I can't remember when it is around this time. Late seventies is when they had that weird yeah. period where mm-hmm. they were kind of going through editor in chief like like toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. I uh, yeah. That exactly. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, maybe that explains why they. 
Marv got to even do even more <laughs> whatever he wanted to do that on the book if that's the case yeah he's editing himself it's pretty nice again there's there's a decent amount of setup for this too it, now we're just trying to get everybody at the compound of Dr. Sun I there's there's quite a bit explained here and it's starting to be revealed that Dr. Sun clearly does not have good plans for the world uh, yeah he, he's definitely full-on major supervillain here he wants world domination part of it is by siphoning all the powers of dracula and these vampire hunters know that okay well who's worse here is it going to be dracula is it going to be dr sun and that's going to be something they're going to be wrestling with the next few issues yeah i thought it was it was a lot of exposition in these few pages where where parker and them are all confronting dr sun like a lot of talking Mm -hmm. and it's like why couldn't we spread this out over a few issues or something because he, I mean, he's telling a story and it doesn't all need to be, like, it's not even, it's not even a story. He's just kind of monologuing. You're right. He's just a full on villain at this point. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's your, he's your typical, uh, yeah. You know, megalomaniac type of Dr. Evil. I think they're at the position where they ne- needed to kind of get that out of the way because a very big thing is going to happen in the next issue and we need Dr. Sun to be uh, specifically positioned in order for the the next few dominoes to fall in the right place. Mm-hmm. So making him to be uh, an uncontrollable and just over-the-top evil villain rather than just a guy who's going to siphon vampire po- powers, I think it was necessary, a necessary change to make. Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah, I agree. Well, we can uh, move on then. Sure. If- uh, so we're going into Tuma Dracula issue 39. Uh, again, we mentioned uh, the, the new logo takes place here, a new cover box artwork, corner box artwork. This one is entitled The Death of Dracula. Um, on the cover, it even says, this is it, the final death of Dracula. So this is where the podcast will end. So this has been fun. <laughs> yep. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> yep. Have a good one, everyone. Okay, so all of our vampire hunters are tied up with ropes at Dr. Sun's compound. Dracula's standing there. Juno is there. A previous issue, we actually forgot to mention, Harker had destroyed the power siphoning device that Dr. Sun was using on Dracula. So that's a little bit part of this is that Dracula isn't as continuously weakened as he was previously. So they're all here. Harold and Aurora uh, are basically going to attempt some sort of a, a rescue mission. They're going to storm the gates, so to speak, uh, while Dracula is there to fight to the death with Juno. Um, Dr. Sun pits the two of them together. We see Juno isn't just a big lumbering strong guy. He is pretty limbered, throwing, you know, doing some karate kicks and things like that. All of this is happening while Quincy, Rachel, and Frank watch, and we're reading, and then it happens. The silver spike of Juno, spoiler alert, impales Dracula, and Dracula dies. So this is not a hoax. This is not an imaginary story. Dracula's dead. He crumbles all the way down into dust. And incinerated. Yes. Yep. He's, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, he's got the big blowtorch, and he cooks him right down. So that's all done there. Eventually, on the B story, Aurora and Harold, they get there. Uh, They and the vampire hunters, you know, get out of Dodge. They get out of the uh, Dr. Sun's compound, which, again, of course, Dr. Sun says was all part of his plan. The idea is now, okay, Harker's got to get the military there. It's like, this is going down. Explains what's going on with Dr. Sun. 
And this also is explained that this was all part of the plan. Dr. Sun wants the military to go there. So we're all left wondering, well, how can that be to be continued? There's some cool artwork in here. Another very popular title at the time is Master of Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. And the uh, a lot of the moves that Juno's doing here, especially on page 172 and stuff, look very much like something Paul Galassi was doing in that title over there at that time. Yep. Juno himself is an Asian character as well as Dr. Sun and stuff. And there have been some uh, unfortunate stereotypes at play through these issues with, uh, especially there's an, in, in the, one of the previous issues, we didn't talk about it, but we saw an ancient Chinese man with very, oh, very yellow right. yeah. skin and such. And But Juno is deformed enough that I don't think he can play on the stereotypes very much. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got big stitches across his face. He's almost a little Frankenstein-esque. Yes. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he doesn't come across quite as uh, yeah stereotypical. I guess until he started doing you know karate kicks and everything. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and, and Juno is definitely. I mean, he he is a formidable opponent. And I, I mean, hey, you got to give it to him. He did kill Dracula. Now, okay, about that. Yeah. His spike is not wooden. It's just metal. I guess they say it's silver. It's silver. Yeah. They've done this a couple of times where Dracula, it seems to be vulnerable to silver, which I always thought that was the werewolf thing was that silver mm-hmm. would, you know, silver bullets and all that kind of stuff. But, but apparently I guess it affects Dracula as well. There is a bit of a fluidity to some of these rules. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you look at kind of like the mythologies of this, there's usually been a long stand where if a werewolf is killed, he then turns into a vampire. A werewolf is killed? It's either a werewolf is killed, turns into a vampire, or it's the other way around. If a vampire is killed, it turns into a werewolf. Oh, but okay. I think it is werewolf to vampire. And that's that's right out of Encyclopedia Britannica, because oh. I remember pouring over the werewolf entry when I was a child. <laughs> so I remember, that, I, I remember that all these years later. Wow. But yeah, so, you know, silver is, you know, kind of considered, I guess, just one of those pure metals that these various supernatural, you know, anti-Christian type of... Uh, deities and and creatures just cannot stand right so the sequence of him being being killed and and transmuting into just this withered corpse uh you know you just see that fanged skull that's left is is pretty pretty powerful stuff i mean again we we know that there's several issues after i'm just curious what it must have been like for someone you know buying this off the spinner rack in the 70s you know from 7-eleven and just did, you, did they lose their mind when they saw that? I'm, I'm just curious about that. Well, and it's the type of thing where it's like the story says to be continued at the end. So we know the series isn't canceled. The story's not over. Question yeah. is always, how are they going to bring him back? And so the same mm-hmm. thing with like when any character dies, it's like, how are they going to bring him back? They're going to figure out a way. True. Yeah, exactly. They wouldn't have spent all that time creating a new logo if Dracula was going to be done. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Special death logo. Yes, yes. Um, I did also want to mention, and, and something I thought was really cool here, is at the last page of this issue on page 184 in the complete collection, uh, you have Quincy and his entourage talking to a high-ranking U.S. military general of some sort, and he tells Harker... The FBI and Scotland Yard vouched for you, Mr. Harker. You have friends in rather high places, and the president says I should cooperate with you. I mean, that's some uh, that's some high praise. If you <laughs> yeah. have the FBI, Scotland Yard, and the president all saying, "Yeah, no, listen to this this blind guy in the wheelchair." Not bad, not bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, so Aurora uses her 
female skills again to seduce a, a military guy in this issue. <laughs> I think this is the only two times that she does oh, that. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Yeah, page 182. Yeah, she's like yep. lifting her skirt. What? Yep. That little minx. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just some continuity, but they take her character in a different direction coming up in I, mm -hmm. in a couple of issues. It might even be the next issue, I think. I can't I, remember. I, I think it... Uh, yeah, I think it is. Okay. Well, let's go on to the next issue now. Issue number 40. The cover has a staked Dracula with a wooden stake. And uh, uh, Rachel's saying, Dracula is truly dead. And Frank is saying, and he's left us to face his greatest foe alone. This is the triumph of Dr. Sun. The issue is called Nightmares of a Living Dead Man. Uh, in this issue, the team doesn't know what to do with, you know, because now Dracula is dead, but Dr. Sun is proving to be a much bigger threat than Dracula ever was. So what are they going to do with Dracula, a dead, dead Dracula? They have him in a in an urn. And um, and then the U.S. military is coming to attack Dr. Sun uh, because, you know, Dr. Sun's a, a big threat. But Dr. Sun has managed to hypnotize the army, and now they are attacking Parker and his gang. And so now they have to fight the army. <laughs> it's a very, very different type of issue. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the highlight for this one, there's two highlights for me. One of them is that Rachel kills Juno, one of the only things that she's going to do of any sort of value or worth in these issues that we're reading here. Mm -hmm. But the other highlight is that we get a little bit of Rachel's backstory. We get a flashback yes. sequence of her as a 16-year-old first encountering Dracula. And I thought, this is really, really good. I, I really enjoyed that look into her life and why kind of she has the hatred for Dracula that she does. Really nice. Yeah, I was uh, I was a big fan of that. It was nice seeing. And I have uh, page 189, uh, the bottom panel, the close-up of Rachel. Uh, just an awesome drawing. I mean... Uh, that 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 very yeah. well done face for for a guy who you know again you, you tend to think of uh as kind of loosey goosey with pencils i mean he can really draw faces and that's i mean it almost looks like a photo it's crazy yeah i'm sure it is a photo that he's referencing and then i, th I think you know tom palmer on top of that adds a lot of solidity to his artwork sure yeah oh yeah well and then we see how uh, a younger Harker wheels in uh, in her in her flashback showing her when she was, you know, much younger. And, you know, he looks uh, much younger, too, but uh, he's still wheelchair bound. He still has the glasses on because we did learn uh, in the previous volume that his he has like a very, very sensitive eyes. So he has to wear those glasses. Uh, he's not blind, like I said earlier, but he is kind of got a, a vampire weakness as a result of one of their previous battles. I wanted to ask you about the cover it seems like it was a bit of a rush job. What do you <laughs> yeah. think? <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. I very strange because it doesn't have the same, I, this is not Gene Colan. I'm sure it looks more like it's like a, I would say maybe Frank Robbins possibly. It's, it seems like a Gene Colan, maybe quick sketch, but then I don't think anybody really finished it off the proper way. It's definitely um, not Tom Palmer inking. Yeah. It might be Gene yeah. Colan. Cause it's, it's definitely the type of composition he'd do and the, the way that the, the, the fabric folds and that kind of stuff is colon, but it doesn't yep. look like it's inked by Palmer at all. It reminds me of Frank, no. Frank Robbins. Yeah, it, it could be. Um, Frank Drake's smile seems not consistent with what's happening here. And like <laughs> you said, it's a wood, it's a wooden stake, which isn't, isn't the case. So yeah, it's a, it's an odd cover. And of course, you know, we have Harold H. Harold running into battle, which isn't like Harold H. Harold to do. <laughs> yeah. So 
<laughs> well, and they're all kind of just floating there. Like there's no there's no real ground. What's what's Harker yeah. riding on there? On yeah, the he's he's got yeah. He doesn't have any jets. He probably has jets built into that thing, but we've never seen them. Yeah. But the insides are are totally different. The insides are yeah fantastic, and especially when we get into the the military battle uh, with all of these soldiers and the tanks and stuff. Like great, some great detail, great oh, compositions, fantastic, very exciting yeah. stuff. And I love on page one ninety six where the the car is just zooming, and that first panel where it's just like a flash of a blur of lights that are passing by. Yeah. Neat effects. I like that. Yes. You don't even see the car. You just, your mind fills it in, but it's, it's like just seeing the headlights and then the shine on the road of the headlights. It's very, very good effect there. Really, really well done. I did like on page 187, just the recap of Dracula's death done in these, you know, elongated panels that that was a really cool sequence there. Very cool. So part of the, part of the thing with, uh, with Aurora and Rachel having this, this talk and Rachel reveals her origins because Aurora is dealing with a very deep longing for Dracula. You know, she, she truly like misses him is, is mourning his death. And Rachel is trying to explain to her that, you know, you don't really love him. And she explains, you know, I, I once had the same issue happen to me uh, when I was younger. So it was kind of a cool moment where you see, you know, some of these lasting effects that Dracula has, you know, he, he is not a great person of course but i mean you you, moments like this is you know you kind of see a little bit how despicable he he actually is you know what what he leaves in his wake type of thing but did he that's the question though is we don't actually know if dracula did uh, hypnotize aurora or if she actually does have the feelings i mean she denies it but could that denying be part of part of the hypnosis we don't know because because yeah rachel is just assuming yeah, uh, that that's exactly what's going on with her. But yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe maybe this is different. Um, yeah, that's a good call. I didn't think of it that way. And I guess we'll find out for sure in later issues, hopefully, maybe. But yeah, this is where mm-hmm. I say I, I said that Aurora takes a, a turn. Her character takes a turn. And this is the turn because now all of her motivations in the stuff that she does in these coming issues is out of grief. And it makes her actually a more interesting character. Uh, I agree. I agree for sure. And one of and speaking of character, uh, this this has another great moment with Quincy, uh, page one ninety seven. I mean, they're basically now at this point. You know, our group of heroes are debating. Okay, you know, Sun is way worse than Dracula, or and then some of them are like, no, I'm glad that he's he's gone. Dracula needed to be gone, and Quincy. Uh, I mean, he he just has this moment where he just talks about, you know, what what does this really mean? And he he kind of reiterates the story of what happened to him. Yeah, uh, what happened yeah. to. Uh, and and, he, and uh, top of page one ninety eight, you see a tear, you know, uh, rolling down his cheek from behind his his sunglasses, and it's like, man, if anybody should want this guy dead, it's Quincy, and and we know this from what we've read. But at the same point, you know, the whole world is at stake, so you have to put those feelings aside and figure out what's what's best. I mean, that's what makes a hero, you know, in these comics. And I can't believe that the logical answer is. We have to find a way to turn this pile of dust back into Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in a universe that contains Avengers, uh, the Fantastic Four, the X-Men. Uh, God, uh, how many other superheroes do I have to keep naming? Yeah. You know, the Defenders. You know, I'll keep going if you want me to. <laughs> they usually try to stay a little bit more realistic, but this whole Dr. Sun stuff, you know, being a brain in a jar yeah. is like, it's very science fiction and <laughs> way out there. So yeah, sure. Let's bring Dracula yep. back. 
Let's get Dracula back in here. Let's see how they do that in issue 41. Okay, Tomb of Dracula, number 41, uh, entitled Rebirth. I wonder what's going to happen in this issue. <laughs> so, okay, so we have the group. They're all trying to figure out, okay, how do we bring back Dracula? And they're they're looking through all these various books and, you know, texts and, and reading about vampires and things of that nature to, you know, how can we get, how do we bring back a vampire type of, type of situation? And it is revealed that uh, under vampire revivication, that either the blood or the tears of a virgin pure can reanimate the ashes of a vampire damned. And as he's saying that Aurora has the urn of, uh, of Dracula's remains and she has a tear dropping inside the urn, the urn gets, you know, scalding hot. She drops it. She can't hold it anymore. And in a really cool sequence, we see the ashes and the skull uh, basically reform into, yeah. you know, flesh and blood Dracula that, that you know, that basically brought him back. Great sequence. Yeah, I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, so I guess we should have mentioned in the previous issue, they did snag the urn that had Dracula's remains from Dr. Sun's hideout. Dracula is is reborn. He immediately goes out for a drink. And in, in the... Uh, and they're like, oh, in, shoot, what have we done <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that lady is 110% on them that she's dead. Yep. And uh, it just so happens because it's comic books. Uh, he bumps into Blade uh, on the streets of Boston. And Blade is is basically brought up to speed by Quincy, by the group. He's beside himself. He can't believe that, you know, this guy, this guy that we've we've all, you know, are determined to kill. He actually brought him back. So he doesn't really understand what dr sun represents at this point he just knows dracula's the bad guy which he still is but yeah he, he's he's basically disgusted to hear that they brought him back we have at this point dracula is is storming the gates so to speak of dr sun's compound uh, which is still swarming with uh, mind-controlled u.s military blade follows him and it ends up becoming a case of a inadvertent team up between blade and Dracula uh, blades kind of watching his back as Dracula's doing his thing. And while all that's happening, we get a team up with Spider-Man uh, just <laughs> kidding. It's a couple of local trick or treaters who are just casually knocking on the door and ringing the bell of Dr. Sun's hideout. And then they just go away wishing that they had candy. So it was kind of an interesting little thing to throw in at the end there, I guess, to uh, be able to put the Spider-Man costume on the cover, perhaps. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, this was a Halloween issue for sure. Yeah. But all in all, I actually really like this issue a lot. I thought this uh, this was fun. I, I like the sequence of bringing Dracula back. I really have grown to like the character of Blade prior to reading these i really only knew them of course from the movies which I, I i love all those as well but this is a this is a different blade you know this is visually especially it has nothing to do with uh the wesley snipes character right and i like his role in this book i like what marv wolfman does he's not like a card carrying member of the team he's off on his mission they're they're all killing vampires but he, he's kind of a lone wolf. He kind of goes and does his own thing. And then periodically he, they compare notes. I, I always like that. I think that's a really cool way to keep this, this interesting. He plays a bigger role in the next few issues, which I think, well, it's not really plays a role. He kind of goes off on his own adventure in the side pages, but he's going to come back <laughs> and, uh, and it's neat to see his character evolve because he hops between here and he appears in 
Morbius as well and a few other places and doesn't have a home. He doesn't have a like a title of his own at this point. So it's all of his character development happens in these issues. So it's kind of neat to see mm-hmm. him pop up here. Which is interesting you bring that up because on page 213 of this collection there is a specific reference and an editor's note of a solo adventure he had in Marvel preview number three, which was a black and white, another one of Marvel's black and white magazines. I scoured the other complete collections. I thought for sure, okay, well, that's got to be in here somewhere. It is not reprinted in the Tomb of Dracula complete collections that we've been covering. Right. Yeah, it's not. And it's specifically referenced here which kind of drives me a little nuts because you put complete collection on there and they're putting a lot of stuff in these. So either they plan on doing a blade collection, which is very possible with a, with a movie coming out. Yes. With a, with an MCU blade happening in the meantime, I jumped on eBay and bought um, a decent copy of Marvel preview number three, because I have to read this story (laughs) Uh, because they're talking about how he was basically completely framed and um, basically having trouble with the law and everything. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to read that, but I was, I was very shocked that they didn't put that in these complete collections. Uh, So this story is reprinted. You can find it in a a trade paperback collection called Marvel horror, the magazine collection. I think it's probably in one of the Marvel horror omnibuses as well. Uh, Probably. That book is long out of print. And, you know, I think you can find a copy on Amazon for no cheaper than 60 bucks or something. So uh, that that's there. Uh, if you got your copy for cheaper than 60 bucks, then you're doing pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, I, I would, uh, I'm curious if they end up putting some that either back in print or like I said, perhaps they are planning a, bl- who knows, maybe we'll get a, a one and done blade epic collection. You know, it's, it's I don't think it would be possible. one and done. I think because he had an ongoing series in the nineties and, uh, that's true. He did have 90s stuff. I think that they could get a couple volumes out for sure. One volume at least of his classic stuff and then another, you know, carry on from from where he goes in the 90s. They'd have to figure out how to put in all these pages. They might have to do kind of how they did Hawkeye and the Black Widow epics where they kind of piecemeal it in there and give you some text for the for some of these blade appearances yeah i'm sure they will in the in the great book well i'd be down to to buy those for sure but yeah so anyway yeah they reference this important story at least in the world of blade and you know i have not been able to read that so looking forward to reading my copy there okay so this this book is a pretty violent book there's a lot of death there's a lot of killing and stuff like that but it's all under this fantasy banner of violence. Mm-hmm. But this issue has a suicide. Dracula makes uh, one of the army people turn his gun on him yes. and he shoots himself in the head. It's off oh, panel, it's but it's like that is such a different type of violence that mm-hmm. we've seen in this book. And it just seems so much more brutal. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'd, you might see something similar, but then it stops. This absolutely happens. It's yeah. off panel, but it. It doesn't make it any more uh, disturbing or any less disturbing. <laughs> yeah, it. I was very surprised to see that there. And this is just kind of more of the, the softening of the comic code because like that kind of thing, even hinted at, doesn't usually happen. I mean, you, mm-hmm. we've had Dracula killing tons of people, snapping their necks and drinking their blood and stuff. But for some reason, this one seems just more real and yeah, more violent. Yeah. 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 Well, it's one thing to be attacked, but I mean, to force somebody against their will to then kill themselves yeah uh, that's that's a bit disturbing so uh but yeah no as uh, i had in my notes as well okay shall we move on to the next issue 
Let's do it. Okay, issue number 42, A Final Battle Wage. This is the final showdown, and it's a bizarre fight between Dracula and Dr. Sun. How does a vampire effectively fight a brain in a box? Or how does a brain in a box effectively fight a vampire? (laughs) It's like so, so strange. But this is the climax of of our story here, and most of it is a big battle. Very interesting. There's a couple of subplot pages with Blade and such, but we can get into those later. Uh, the main battle is Dracula has finally confronted Dr. Doctor Sign, and Dr. Sign is using the power of light beams to, to fight Dracula. And Dracula is trying to use his mist powers to infiltrate the box that Dr. Sun is in in order to kind of defeat him. Um, One of the weirdest parts here is Dr. Sun makes crucifixes of light and throws them Mm -hmm. at Dracula and that weakens Dracula, um, gives him pain, but not enough pain. And eventually, in the end, Dr. Sun actually destroys himself. He's, He's just he's knocked over and he's a brain on the floor. But uh, the light beams hit the computers and uh, and then set them on fire. And Dr. Sun, being just a brain on the ground, can't actually move out of the way of the flames. And he burns to death. So, well, what did you think of, of this for the, the, the climax? Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are before I chime in. Uh, I thought it was a little ridiculous. This whole, like <laughs> like I said, I'm not a fan of Dr. Sun. So there's not really mm-hmm. any way that a vampire can fight a brain in a box that's going to be not ridiculous. I was almost expecting Dracula to stick his fangs inside that, that brain and suck his brain mm. blood or something, but <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, Happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah. i agree it's not something you would normally think is going to be at all a riveting fight but i have to say gene colin does it i mean for that's true about it's about three to four pages worth of this this battle and um it it's at least on the page very exciting and a lot of it has to do with the swirling mists of dracula and the the light show from dr sun and a lot of that is like this is gene colin doing what gene colin does he is very yeah. good at the wispy. He's very good at the motion mm-hmm. lines and doing this specifically this type of battle where it's a lot of motion and a lot of abstract. Like he's yeah. actually good at that. So it plays up to his strengths quite a bit. And it's any other artist on it wouldn't have probably had the same effect. I mean, you would think the go to would be that, you know, Dr. Sun would be revealed to be in some sort of robot body. And now you have, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's st- still as ridiculous. I mean, you got Dracula fighting a robot with a brain in it, but now, now you have something physical to show a fight. But yeah, I mean, he just keeps him as a brain in a fish tank and it, it does does the job. And uh, you say how he does basically uh, uh, Dr. Sun kills himself. Um, and the the term that was used uh, by Dracula, he goes, he could not stand battle, and in a sense committed electronic suicide. I just thought, <laughs> just thought that was kind of an interesting way to put it. It's, it's like a band name that needs to happen: electronic suicide. Electronic that, suicide. Yeah, right. You know, some sort of techno band. Um, but. I don't have a ton to say about this because it is mostly about that fight. Meanwhile, Blade is during all of that. He is basically uh, fighting the mind controlled military that eventually their minds are no longer clouded once Dr. Sun is destroyed. But as soon as this battle is over, Blade whips a knife out, puts it right to Dracula. And he's like, "Okay, truce is over. And that's how that issue ends. Yeah. (laughs) 
it very very strange i the whole thing the whole doctor son saga that started very early on in the whole tomb of dracula story it's just been kind of one weird wild ride and i'm glad mm-hmm. it's over because i think it took too long and i can't believe that doctor that that dracula's number one like arch nemesis is a brain in a box like really oh, right <laughs> it's just so strange it yeah it it was it was uh you know as I, I i am serious i do like uh the the evil brain in you know machinery but uh there's only so much you could do with that especially in a visual medium but it was uh, i think it i think it went on a little too far but at the same point i i think it was good i think i'm very much looking forward to seeing what's next you know yes. on the docket so to speak but uh but yeah i I'm curious to see because we we bring up again with Blade. He brings up you know the uh, the silver haired or the white haired vampire that killed his mother. He demands answers from Dracula. I'm I'm curious about that story at this point. I really want to get into that, and I know we're I know that's coming here, but yeah, that has me intrigued enough. Uh, do you want to move to uh, the next issue? Sure. Yeah, let's go on to the next issue. Okay, so Tomb of Dracula number forty three. Uh, this is called Paul Butterworth, the Night Staker. Um, I believe that's probably a play on the Night Stalker. Definitely. In fact, the whole yeah. <laughs> premise of this issue is like a whole homage to to the Night Stalker. Which was a popular 70s detective program. This happens to be, he's a reporter. Uh, his name's Paul Butterworth. Uh, he's investigating some recent vampire-related deaths in Boston. So it is still within this realm of continuity that we're in this investigation leads him to Harold and uh, because Harold wrote his story um, about Dracula. Uh, so he sought Harold out to try to get some answers. Um, and then it eventually leads him to blade where this entire investigation kind of culminates in an encounter with Dracula himself. And uh, you know, as a result, we, you know, we're kind of following this reporter as he's writing the story he basically thinks you know well dracula's going to get me so this story needs to be told somehow so that's kind of how we're brought into this comic what i find very interesting about this is we have a continuation of the events from last issue you know we get we do pick up with blade threatening dracula at the end of last issue but it's not done immediately we're following this character on his investigations that brings him up to that point when he finds out what happened with that moment. It's a very interesting writing method. And I, again, I think it's a fun way to recap the events, tell what happened after that, but in a totally different way, um, I thought was, was very interesting. Yeah. It serves as a good epilogue to the whole story. And it's kind of like how this volume started off with uh, telling short stories from the perspective of other people about how Dracula got over the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, very, It's a similar setup like that. I like it mm-hmm. when that happens because it's just nice to change up the style of narration every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. The The character of Paul Butterworth is, is fun as well, just being a hard-boiled kind of detective reporter kind of a guy who just gets in too deep and doesn't really believe what's going on until it's kind of too late. Uh, there's one scene toward the end where Dracula finally hunts him down and attacks him. And on page 256, he pulls out a cross. And mm-hmm. this was interesting because I never made this connection before. Uh, Dracula says, so Dracula grabs the cross and it burns his skin. And it says, the sight of the cross sickens me. It burns at my flesh, but is the crucifix which can slay me. 
And so the difference between a cross and a crucifix is a crucifix is a cross that has a little depiction of Jesus hanging from it. Okay. That's what I was wondering, but I was going to ask you that. Yeah. So I, I never made that connection before. If you just have a cross, that's not enough to hmm. kill Dracula. It'll keep him away because he doesn't, like he burns at the touch. But the crucifix is the thing that will actually kill Dracula. So there you go. Never made that connection before. And and that, that part where he grabs the cross and his, his hand is just sizzling away, that's a really cool effect. You got a bunch, yep. of, bunch of steam coming off of that. It's really good. Got to smell terrible. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier in the issue, so part of his investigation, he's following this woman. And I got to tell you, so this is pages 244, 245. Yeah, this I has like got to be the saddest story yeah. in this series. And I, I mean, there's been some sad stuff that we've seen, but. This poor woman, newlywed, lost her husband after only six months, lost lost him at Christmas. And the only place she wanted to be on New Year's was at his great. Oh, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> it was a real sad story. And it's just it's dark. And like the, the whole sequence yeah. where she's running away from the vampire bat and she trips and falls into an open tomb, like an open grave. I mean, yeah. and uh, yep. and then, and then, then he Dracula leaps right on her and right inside. And it's like. You know, I've made this analogy before of Dracula. Every time he he attacks a, a villain, it's an analogy for rape. Like, he, oh, there's a very sexual mm-hmm. nature to the way he um, attacks and and needs to to feast on blood and such. And like that's that scene, I think, is just like really yeah. graphic in that sense. Yes. Uh. Yeah. Agreed. So on the next page is where it starts. So this is where I'll bring it up. Paul Butterworth speaks about Morbius. So he's referencing. Right. Uh, you know, the Spider-Man character who went on to do his own various solo stuff during this time period as well. Some black and white appearances and what was it? Adventures into fear. Yep. I think he was in uh, for a bit. And, um, you know, he talks about that. He had a couple of run-ins with Morbius and I'll ask you, I did kind of look online, but this appears to be Paul Butterworth's one and only appearance. So this is just him talking about stuff that we never that saw. never happened. Yep, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He never appeared in those Adventures into Fear issues or anything that were around this time. Okay. That's a shame. I wish that they would have, that would have been a really cool minor way to, again, connect everything. But I do like the name drop of Morbius. I like that he's uh, famous enough, I guess, in the great, you know, the wider Marvel universe that when someone thinks of a vampire, it's it's like, oh, what about that Morbius guy? Like, I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and Morbius in his story in Adventures into, um, like he was publicly known. He was not okay. like widely famous, like Spider Man known, but it's not like his identity was a secret. And so, but he he was a vampire by science, not by right. becoming a vampire. Like he he had some some special blood issue where he injected himself with something and turned into a vampire type of a character so he himself for the longest time didn't believe in vampires even though mm-hmm. he was himself kind of okay. a vampire and so i think that's where this this guy is coming from as well it's like i've met morbius he's a vampire but not really a vampire so vampires don't really sure. exist and i haven't i have not read i have the the two morbius epic collections i have not read them yet so i have haven't read his uh, solo 70s stuff. So I'm assuming he never had one that just took place in Boston. He never went to Boston. Morbius? Yeah. He went all over the place. And I don't remember if he went to Boston specifically or not, but he was literally all over the map and in different directions and in hell and everywhere. So, <laughs> yeah, I know he, yeah, I know he was all, it would be interesting if he at least had even a short story that took place in Boston. Cause then, 
you know, just headcanon wise, you could be like, oh, OK, he ran into Butterworth before and after this you know, yeah, story or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, OK, yeah. That, that, like I said, I like the reference, regardless of it, whether or not it, it you know, we saw it happen. Um, it was nice to nice to get that that yeah. connection there. Uh, I also really liked is just a small moment. But on page 254, you have uh, Butterworth kind of hold up in his office and dracula's come calling and he's he's holding a gun and the one caption he goes uh uh so i grabbed my gun loaded with silver bullets you wouldn't want to know how much they set me back i just thought that was <laughs> yeah. as funny because you know you just oh just get silver bullets and you just you know it's a very peter parker type of thing it's like oh how much are they like yeah, know, very <laughs> relatable <laughs> totally yeah uh okay and so this is kind of a, a good stopping point for the story, it like I said, it serves as an epilogue to the whole Doctor Sun stuff. And these next two issues that we're going to read really put a pause on all of the, the side stories. And we're going to get mm-hmm. just a, a two-part crossover between Dracula and Doctor Strange. It's going to be one issue in Dracula and one issue in Doctor Strange. And so this was a team-up, a joint effort between... Marv Wolfman and uh, Steve Englehart, who was writing uh, Doctor Strange at the time. And Gene was drawing both books at the time. And Gene was drawing both books. And in fact, Marv Wolfman was editing both books. And so so I think Marv probably came up with the idea of doing a little crossover here. And I'm pretty sure that I have a clip of Steve Englehart talking about this crossover in an interview that I did with him. So I'll dig that up and I'll place it in this episode here. I think it was not Marv's idea. I think it was like Roy's idea or, you know, whoever was in charge of editorial at that point in time. For all I know, it was Marv who was in charge of editorial. But I just, I remember Marv came and said, uh, Gene is drawing both of these books and it would be nice to do a crossover. And I'm like, sure, I, I can see that. And I forget, again, you know, whose idea it was, but we came to the idea that at the end of each of our books, we would kill the other guy's character. <laughs> uh, so I killed Dracula, and he killed Doctor Strange, but amazingly enough, they both uh, recovered from that. Imagine that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that was, you know, that was just a sort of an, I wouldn't say necessarily an homage to Gene, but it was definitely part of the concept that, like, you know, Gene draws both of these books. It'd be fun to, to let him mingle them. And it's always a pleasure to work with Marv. So, you know. So this one is uh, Tomb of Dracula 44. The title, I'm assuming, is His Name is Doctor Strange, although there's no real obvious title on that title page there. Yeah, that's what I wrote down, too. I, I'm assuming that's probably what they would be, you know, if you had to give it a title. The complete collections do not give us a, an official table of contents. Right. Uh, Wong, Doctor Strange's, um, you know, second in command, Wong has been killed by something. And Doctor Strange goes on a journey to figure out who is responsible for Wong's death. And he eventually finds out that it was Dracula. And so, um, okay, so I guess the story does kind of continue in this one. Dracula has made his home in Doctor Sun's house. And, uh, or his mansion, or wherever his secret laboratory. Uh, he now, <laughs> now that Doctor Sun doesn't need it anymore, Dracula's setting up shop, and so Doctor Strange eventually tracks him down, and then uh, engages Dracula in battle. And Dracula overcomes Doctor Strange, bites him, Strange dies, and then he says, "I'll see you in three days, buddy," <laughs> because he's gonna rise yes. as a vampire, Doctor Strange. Uh, there's a couple of little side stories like Aurora is has now written a book about her love affair with Dracula, which I think is hilarious. That's right. 
I loved a vampire by Aurora Rabinowitz. And Harold H. Harold is very jealous because he's been trying to make it as a writer for so long and she just kind of publishes her trashy magazine and and <laughs> she gets a lot of fame from it. So there we go. Uh, not to mention we see him uh, 100% friend zoned as well as if we didn't already know that he was in the friend zone. Right. Uh, because he, he also wishes that she loved him instead of a vampire and Harold, you're a really nice, sweet person. So yeah, uh, here we go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Exciting issue. I really like this. It's always interesting to see, uh, you know, who would win in a fight between a Marvel superhero. And of course, because I think it's Tom DeFalco that always says, or no, it was was it Stanley? I can't remember if it was Stanley or Tom DeFalco quoting Stanley, uh, or something like that. But it's like, you know, who's going to win in a battle? Well, it depends on whose book it is. <laughs> and so in this case it's dracula's book so dracula wins the battle dr strange dies um this the second issue i think is the more interesting of the pair but this is still a fun issue to read uh i agree i actually really 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 liked the two-parter i, yes. I liked yeah. both of these issues a lot oh, yeah. uh they 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 absolutely feel super coherent especially because of the artwork uh you know uh, this is just gene at the top of his game uh drawing both books that have been his books, you know, all along. Uh, I think he is an inspired choice for Doctor Strange. I remember talking to you, uh, it was probably a, a, quite a while ago, but I was, I cracked open the Doctor Strange epic that had this collection in it, um, this two-parter, and I stopped because we were not caught up on our Tomb of Dracula reading. Yeah, right. So I didn't want to get spoiled on what happens in this. <laughs> so I can now... Uh, go back to that epic collection and read that Doctor Strange. Reward Doctor Strange. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I should do that too. I haven't read that one yet. What I liked in this was well, a couple things. Wong is killed, and it's presumed that he's killed in Boston. And uh, we we actually, unless it happened in the previous issue of Doctor Strange, we have no understanding of why Wong was in Boston. Because right. you know, you would think he was at the Sanctum Sanctorum in New York City. So. Uh, that was just kind of explained just to throw in here. But what I loved is Dr. Strange trying to figure out what happened to Wong. He dives into Wong's brain and relives Wong's memories as Wong so that he could see what happened to Wong. I just thought that was so trippy and cool. And that's what yeah. you get with Dr. Strange. It should be a trippy, cool experience. That's just, you know, that's how his comics are. This whole battle as well, Dr. Strange pulls out all of his tricks and he mm -hmm. says... Uh, through the eye of Agamotto shall come the binding forces of the rings of Ragador, coupled with the unbreakable crimson bands of Sidorak. Those are the some of the oldest things mm -hmm. back from the, the Steve Ditko era of, of Doctor oh, yeah. Strange. But Dracula's just like, uh, dude, I can turn into mist. The bands are not going to do anything. And he does it and is like... <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, that that's that's uh, it was a, definitely a fun battle, and it was again, it was shocking to see because that final panel. I mean, you see Doctor Strange's body in Dracula's arms, and you see the puncture wounds on Doctor Strange's neck. Yeah, you have to make um, it obvious that this actually did happen. There's no no two ways about it. It was fun. It was cool. One of the other things that I liked. So there is a little bit of subplot here where we do see a little bit with with uh, Blade and, again, this mysterious white-haired vampire who he has now arrived in Boston, and he turns into a bat. He does his vampire thing, but we have Blade tracking him, and it appears that Blade is sneaking up on him in his apartment, and then it is seen at the very last page 
We pick up with Blade. He thinks he's going to sneak up on him, and it's Hannibal King. Yeah. Who we've seen only once before in the Tomb of Dracula series. That's right. Return of Hannibal King. The vampire detective. So, yeah, that's a little bit of subplot that they did throw in there. Um, of course, the, the, the main point of this issue was was Dracula versus Doctor Strange. Um, on uh, page 269, the, the last panel with Dracula, this was one of those Tom Palmer Zipatone things I wanted to mention. He put the Zipatone on Dracula's open eyeballs. Yeah. And it's just such a creepy effect. Totally. Yeah. Just a weird spot. You wouldn't think to put it, but it just adds, it makes it completely creepier than, than without it. It's true. Yeah. Gives it a good effect. Like he's possessed or something like that, or like he's mm -hmm. tapped into his demon side or something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, two things that I want to point out. Uh, one is on page 272, we get this kind of flashback sequence with Dracula as the prince of Transylvania riding on a horse commanding an army like he's a general. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is just uh, a vision or if it's like reality, like this is actually what Dracula did before he was a vampire. But um, I would love to learn more about this history and uh, maybe it's told in the magazine stories. I don't know. It is. Uh, I remember okay, good. flipping through the, the yeah, we're, we're not there yet. But yeah, this is 100 uh, percent his or part of his origin story. That's that awesome. Is in the black and white. Yeah, that's very interesting to me. I really want to learn more about this side of Dracula. I agree. Uh, and then the second thing I wanted to bring up is that there's two to be continued pages. Like we end with Dracula yeah. and uh, Doctor Strange and it says to be continued. And then you turn the page and there's the one page of the blade thing. And it also says to be continued. It was <laughs> kind of a weird setup there. When I was doing my notes on this, I completely forgot this last page existed because I read it. And then I went back to it about a week later to do my notes on it. And I was like, oh, whoops. And this was one you covered. <laughs> so that, was, that worked out for me. Yeah, that's right. That's good. <laughs> Okay, let's go on to our last issue here, Doctor Strange number 14. Yep, so it came out the same month as that Tomb of Dracula, so same time on the spinner racks. Uh, this one's called The Tomb of Doctor Strange. Picks up right where we left off again with dead Doctor Strange in the arms of Dracula. He throws him down in his, uh, his cellar there and tells him, you know, I'll be back in three days when he's going to arise as a vampire. And he goes away laughing. What is uh, what is very interesting here is we find out that prior to the death, Doctor Strange had already exited his body in his astral form. Yeah, brilliant, and, and stayed hidden. So now he has basically a time. He's got to keep to a to a schedule here to try to fix all this while his body is slowly turning into a vampire. It's preventing him from going back into his own body. Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he's stuck in astral form. And what's really interesting is he has like a mini freak out at the bottom of page 281 going into the top of 282. Uh, Dr. Strange kind of loses his crap a little bit here. And then he, he calms himself down. He goes, uh, calm yourself, magician, be at peace think and i don't know why but that hit me very powerful because how many times do any of us get to a point where we're either like overly stressed out or, or you know the the moments of the day become too overwhelming and you you just have to take a second you know what i mean you know count to 10 and that's kind of what dr strange did it's such a cool thing to see a superhero do in a very you know even though he's floating cross-legged it's still a very relatable human moment there mm, and yeah. i really really appreciated that so his plan here is once he calms himself down is he's basically haunting dracula 
he turns into a vision of the recently deceased Dr. Sun, your favorite character ever. <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine if people are just, they collect Dr. Strange, <laughs> maybe they get it mailed to their house every week. And so they have no yeah. context of Tomb of Dracula. And then there's this, it doesn't even look like a brain. It's just a pink yeah. wad of like a bunch of bubblegum mushed yeah. together or something. <laughs> yeah, it's a bunch of it's a, it's the ghost of bubblegum past. And uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, I agree. That would have been really weird. So he turns into that freaks out Dracula. Dracula is getting kind of, you know, angry and everything. He goes Dracula goes to where he left the body of Wong and Wong is not there. His body is now gone. And that is further messing with Dracula's mind because he doesn't understand why that's happening. And then he sees the vision of what is revealed to be. Uh, well, her name is Maria. Apparently, this is his deceased wife. I believe this is also recounted in the black and white magazines. So a lot of a lot of continuity heavy here for again the casual mm-hmm. doctor strange uh reader that's right but that of course must be one of uh dracula's uh weak points because it that really gets him ticked off and in in a way doc, so doctor strange in the form of his dead wife which is a little weird but we won't get into how you know we won't get into the <laughs> the details there but he flies out over the sea and Dracula in bat form is chasing him and actually gets way out too far. And the sun is just starting to come up. So uh, Dracula turns around really fast, gets back just in the nick of time to his hideout, uh, goes to the body of Dr. Strange, which, so I'm guessing this has been the three days. Dr. Strange is reanimating at the exact same time. The astral form of Dr. Strange goes back into his body and is able to partially kind of control his own body again. However, he is fighting this evil side of him that's now there, this vampirism that's taking over his body with this good side of, you know, normal Dr. Strange. And in probably one of the coolest moments, maybe in Dr. for what I've read, Dr. Strange history is he calls upon God, like the God. And, and he makes a note to say that he's called on many gods over the years to fight his battles, but he's never called upon uh, him. And it gives him everything that he needs in order to defeat Dracula, leaves him as a smoldering husk of, of, a, of a you know corpse, basically, and is able to push the vampirism out of his own body. He heals Wong as well. The disappeared body of Wong was because Dr. Strange had hidden it in a, another dimension because, you know, that's what Dr. Strange is able to do <laughs> yep. and uh, brings Wong back and then fixes Wong. The both of them free of being vampires leave Dracula dead in this basement and they leave with Dr. Strange saying, I would never, ever be able to pull that stunt again because the good and the evil inside of him almost ripped him apart. How cool is that? What an awesome story that was. Yeah, very, very cool. I just some great concepts. And this is what I love. I'm going to talk about Doctor Strange now. He's like Steve Englehart's Doctor Strange is absolutely fantastic. There are so many big concepts and great stories in there. And and this is just one example, one small example of how great I think that that stuff is. So if you haven't read Steve Englehart's Doctor Strange, I really recommend it. Um, and he had to note, I will never be able to do that again because he defeated Dracula and he knows how to cure people from being vampires. 
And so we can't have that exist in the Marvel Universe floating around. Otherwise, there'd be no point of Tomb of Dracula. So, of course, they had to write in there at the very end, I'll never be able to do this ever again. (laughs) Yeah, it's not like there's going to be some sort of, you know, magical mathematical formula down the road that might do something like that later, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that Doctor Strange (laughs) happens to be a part of. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's a story for another time. Another day. Yeah. I, I just, I, I mean, I loved this story. I thought it was so cool. And I liked that it was it was very much free of a lot of the continuity. Yeah, there were some subplots in the Dracula issue. But just, I mean, in for me, for I, I've read all the 60s Doctor Strange. I've read into the uh, the 70s uh, Doctor Strange stuff. Uh, Englehart's beginning part of the run, like I said, up to this point, I didn't read this issue yet originally this has got to be in my top five dr strange stories just him nice. versus dracula yep. so much fun this was really really cool i think that if they ever had a chance to meet i think they meet again in maybe i think in roy thomas's run dracula comes back um in a okay, very this, important this sorcerer story. supreme yeah uh, in the, series? yeah because dracula i mean this is a spoiler i guess at some point he dies and so they bring him back in dr strange in that in that series so okay they they do meet again a number of times, like the story that you were mentioning as well, the Mon- Montesi mm-hmm. formula the or whatever. Montesi formula, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I think we can look forward to... I don't think they'll be nearly as, as hard-hitting as this story is, but we'll get to see them fight it out again. And it's like, yeah, it's, I, it's a match made in heaven because you have these two guys that have some, some cool facial hair and big flowing mm-hmm. capes with high yep. brimmed red collars. <laughs> like it's just yeah. kind of cool to see them fighting each other. I mean, I mean, they should be best friends, but you know, one is <laughs> horribly evil. I kind of, in just my own head canon, uh, you know, when I read a lot of these Marvel monster stuff of the seventies, you know, unfortunately a lot of it just didn't make it past the seventies. I think the eighties, yeah. uh, the industry doubled down on, on superheroes. And I think, you know, aside from the random guest appearances here and there, most of them kind of, for the most part, either faded away or the magic just wasn't there anymore. Yeah. So for me, I kind of feel that Dr. Strange is still our connection to all of it. I know we talked about brother voodoo kind of crossing over with a lot of them, but I always like to think that he and Brother Voodoo, you know, you know, got together for played chess once in a while or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. tra- traded some war stories. I know Brother Voodoo, they didn't do much with him for a long time either. But I'd like to think that, you know, the whole idea of vampires and werewolves and the dark hold and all that fun stuff, you know, to, to Doctor Strange, it's like, well, this is why I'm busy. I have all of this other stuff I got to look at while, again, superheroes became the mainstream. So I, I like seeing Doctor Strange. Uh, hobnobbing with with the marvel monsters i just think it's a it's a proper fit totally yep i think so too which is why he joins the midnight suns line of marvel books in the 90s when marvel kind Mm -hmm. of revamps their horror side of things with ghost rider Mm -hmm. and morbius when dr strange is part of that the dark arts and all that dark hold and yeah yeah i look forward to uh reading that stuff when we get to that point in the epic collections i don't have i have those original issues but that midnight suns they came polybagged and i don't know i you guess i'm afraid to up. open them <laughs> yeah, no nope, right. they're, they're they're all still bagged and yeah. uh, you know who knows where they're going with the movies those those puppies might might bounce in in price so i'll wait till the epics reprint them so i can read them okay well that brings us to the end of what we're talking about today we'll be back next week and we'll talk about the rest of this epic collection which is issues 45 through 54 and uh, we'll have some interesting stuff there including an appearance by the silver surfer if you can believe that 
and a Christmas issue. So yeah, I guess we Christmas issue. We could save that one and do we Christmas Eve. Me and you can start talking about Dracula again. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there we are. Let's uh, let's wrap it up for this episode. I think we had a great conversation. Lots of great insights from you, Josh. I appreciate putting the time and effort into uh, to reading these and talking with me about Dracula. It's been a lot of fun, as sure. it always is. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. And yeah, I look forward to talking to you again. You can follow me on Facebook and on Instagram, on Twitter, and you can even search for me on TikTok. I'm also there now, too. Not talking about Marvel stuff, but still talking about comics. You can search for Epic Collections on Facebook and join my Facebook group. Um, But otherwise, uh, yeah, we'll see everybody next time. Have a great week.